0: When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. This is episode 62. I'm your host, Tim Smith, here with Christopher Russell in the Guide Shack on a Friday morning before we start our day. And this has sort of been our routine as of late is to get up a little early and record something um before we get caught up in the busyness of the day yeah so you had a great addition to your living situation this past oh i got a stove and i'm amazed i even crawled out of that tent to come up here and record this so yeah it's northern Maine. It's the, se- it's the 17th of May, and it was like one degree above freezing last <laughs> night. Like, we're still, we're barely out of winter. I know some of you listening to this uh, may be in more southern climates, and you're already dealing with, you know, days where the air conditioner is probably kicking on for eight or more hours a day. Yeah. And we still have snow. The Misardis Glacier is still <laughs> super strong. You should explain the Misardis Glacier. The, the Misardis Glacier, about a... <laughs> About a half a mile from the field school here down the road is a, uh, in a big farmer's field. There's an area with a big, uh, it doesn't get any southern exposure. Um, yeah. And there's a big hill and the snow piles up there. And, you know, it's the 17th of May and there's still a couple of feet of snow in the Massardis yeah. Glacier. Yep. The, uh, the, <laughs> the climate here, in one of the old... Um, Northeast Sporting Journal books—they talk about the shortest growing season in Maine, and it was right here, at Squapan Junction, where they yep. said seventy-seven frost-free days a year. Yeah, right. And we
1: had two,
0: That's two like or three two, days ago, two hundred and eighty-plus had... days with frost a year. God, I love Maine.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, and two, two or three days ago, we had our first wet weather fire exercise, and I woke up and started walking up the hill to get them started on it, and it
0: started snowing. Yeah, and sleeting. Mid to late May, it's uh, it's, <laughs> it's it's challenging. It is challenging. Yeah, we were out yesterday. We had our first day out on the river, so we uh, we covered I don't know six miles. We went to downtown Masardis and floated back to the field school. And just a, like a 12 to 15 mile an hour north wind. <laughs> it was probably 41 degrees Fahrenheit. And for most of the way, we had a driving rain. Yeah. So it was like perfect conditions for hypothermia. Yeah. Super happy that nobody went for a swim because that would have meant, uh, yeah, pull over right away, get a blazing fire going. Yeah, um, it was chilly. All those things. But, you know, for the spring semester especially, we, we, uh... No one's ever going to want to do the spring semester after hearing this. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> but for the spring semester especially, we've got uh, a bunch of trips to go and do. So we keep trying to push the envelope and get out on the water, but the weather has just been cold. Yeah. So it's hard to get, uh, you know, once people have some experience, it's no big deal to be out on the water. Um, but to do those initial few days of polling, standing in a canoe through rips, things like that, you know, where people are more likely to swim, it's, it's hard to get it uh done when it's been so cold
1: yeah it's really it's
0: it's been really challenging um the weather and stuff this spring so it's no i mean it's no big deal doing stuff at the field school like woods stuff craft stuff no big deal with the colder weather it's just introducing people to the fine art of canoeing we know when it's barely above freezing and the water's barely above freezing that's that's a challenge it's actually a benefit i think to be in the woods because we can be in the thickest woods ever with no smudge pots now. There's no bugs yet. Yeah. So, you know, we can be doing just about everything in, in the woods. And, and there's a huge benefit to that. Because once the bugs come out, they're hungry. They haven't eaten since September. So they're going to be, you know, real hungry and yeah. real anxious to get some uh, human blood into them. So <laughs> we're we're thankful they have not <laughs> been out yet. Uh, but, yeah, wrapping up week three, Friday morning of week three of it's the flying. nine-week semester it is flying. um then we're right on we're right where we want to be you know we've got our big checklist of everything that has to go into the course uh and you know we've cranked out canoe paddles so far we've cranked out a bunch of other smaller crafts people are living in their first big shelter that they've made um you know we've pressed all the green plants that have come up we've which is picked, like three yeah it's so cold <laughs> um, <laughs> But, yeah, so, I don't know. the the With it being so late like this, though, when the sun does come out, stuff's going to pop, like, yeah. in about a day. You know, looking out across the pond right now, the aspens are all kind of budding out. Yep. Um, so, yeah, one warm day, and we'll probably get, like, three inches of leaf
1: growth. Yeah, because which the, will be great. It'll be so nice to see, see things green, green up after such a long <clears throat> winter.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like, the fields are already green you yeah. know one of the things we do early spring is great for a grass cordage grass mats because you've got all the dead grass from last year but there's a uh there's an expiration date on it and that expiration date is happening right now where that stuff once the snow melts and it gets exposed and it's moist it uh it breaks down really quickly and is replaced by g- green grass yeah. so you know this is a great time to harvest stuff to make a, a simple quickie grass rope great time for friction fire tinder bundles and spark based fire making tinder bundles because there's dry dead grass everywhere Um, pretty soon you know in late spring and summer that's not as easy of a project to pull off you have to do a lot more work to process inner barks of cedars and aspen or maybe harvest some grass and let it dry out in the sun you know but right now we're sort of at the very end of that hey everything is super flammable which is why all the you know there's often big fire warnings in the Northeast or in Northern Maine. in early So spring. I'm curious if you plan that
1: as a segue into what we're going to talk about, because it takes a pretty good understanding of the rhythms of a place you live to know that. And that's why we're here. Or did you just happen to stumble
0: upon Dumb that? luck. I like it. Dumb luck. That's how we got this far. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, today, uh, after we get through our kind of rambling intro here, we're going to talk about how to know a place. Yeah, um, <clears throat> But a couple other a couple other uh, timely current events things. Uh, number one, um, we're both very sad this morning. Yeah, it's a tough one. We looked on the magic internet phone this morning and learned that, that Grumpy Cat, the cat of a million photos on the internet... Stole all our hearts. A million... Is it a meme or a mem? I, again, I don't know. Okay, well... I think meme. We learned that Grumpy Cat, sadly, has passed away. Uh, so... Yeah. We're dedicating this episode to Grumpy Cat. Yes, we are. uh, Who may not be there with us in person anymore, but will be there in our hearts and spirit forever. Grumpy Cat definitely lives in both of our hearts, for sure, at the very least. Yes, if I were a cat, I would probably be Grumpy Cat. Or (laughs) my cat, Pudding, at home, because he doesn't do anything at all. He just lays around. (laughs) Uh, Uh, So, Grumpy Cat, we miss you. Yep. Uh, and have fun in that big litter box in the sky. We'll see you again on the other side. Yep. Uh, we had, or I had a meeting this past week, a totally different topic here, (laughs) switching gears. Um, we are definitely on track for, uh, offering college credit through the university of Maine at Presque Isle starting this fall with this fall, uh, wilderness bushcraft semester. I went in and met with, uh, the team at UMPI the other day and they were super excited about our new digital assessment system. It dovetails really well with um, what, what we're trying to accomplish with this partnership. So that's definitely in process. The, the, the T's are being crossed. The I's are being dotted and we're super, super excited about it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be listed as an adjunct professor and for some of you listening out there, also know that I am a full bird, Kentucky Colonel. So starting oh, in September, I just I will only answer oh, to God. Professor <laughs> Colonel.
1: <laughs> can you? But when you sign it, can it be Colonel like a popcorn Colonel, uh, Professor Ooh, Colonel? That's
0: interesting. Just, uh, just no. There's no dang. way I can do that. Oh, it'd be funny. There's so many <laughs> levels to this. There is a lot of levels to it. <laughs> Uh, But we're super excited for that partnership. Um, Yeah, just another example of, of, uh, you know, the hard work that it takes to get things done um, in that there's a big difference between professional, documented, uh, standards-based training and just kind of going around and sitting in the woods. And and it's been, when I started this business uh, 20 years ago, when I was thinking about it back in, 1998 when I was thinking about what we were going to do and what we were going to try to accomplish and then we actually started in 1999 part of the long-term goal was to legitimize traditional outdoor living skills as part of outdoor education and at the time outdoor education especially at the university level was uh focused all around um Mountaineering, mountaineering gear, rock climbing, things of that nature. Adventure
1: stuff, right?
0: Where where the outdoors were sort of used as a backdrop for people-based things and interactions. And with my background in anthropology, I was really interested in how native cultures had lived on the land for millennia. Right? And the skills and the techniques and the, you know, the hard skills and the ecological knowledge that went into that, which was a totally different, just a totally different realm from what university level outdoor education was. And it's super exciting. I mean, yeah, a 20 year, a 20 year overnight success, right? Um, hang on. That doesn't work. Yeah. That's what it's a joke. Oh, but you know, the idea is it took us 20 years, but we're finally kind of realizing that dream, which is feels really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And is super excited, you know, and part of the thing that drove me to want to accomplish that was that was always my interest as a child. And at the time, you know, it wasn't a big popular industry like the bushcraft air quotes industry at this point. Um, But, you know, that's what I was interested in. I wanted to learn how those cultures lived off the country. And, you know, over that, over those 20 years, I think, I think 19, uh, 19 years ago, I started doing trips up north with David and Anna Bosom and learning about the Cree lifestyle and the Cree culture. And that's been a huge boom to, you know, kind of continuing to fuel that dream and desire. Uh, and I think maybe one of the biggest changes over time was as a kid, or if you're just getting into this, you think of those things that allow cultures to live that way as skills. And the word skills is still thrown about quite a bit. You know, this skill, that skill, but you know, if you practice it every day and it's part of your lifestyle, it's a culture. It's not skills. Uh, so, again, super excited to be working with Umpy. Super excited to see that partnership take off. And um, just super excited about that whole thing, right? It's it's always great yeah. to get external validation. never hurts. Uh, no. And we're happy to have it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it'll be really... It's great to me to see that you know like you were saying like learning how other cultures lived on the land previously um and not just to learn that in sort of a way where you know a lot of facts about it but you've actually done it and you're like oh this this really works it's not just a line drawing or you know the the ramblings of some person who found a stone and thought that maybe it was a primitive ipod or something you know like a primitive iPod. Yeah. Is that like you? That would take two I, stones because you'd have to bang them together. I'm making the point that with most, like when you're basing off artifacts and drawings, a lot of times it's totally up to interpretation. Okay. Whether or not it would work or not. But um, again,
0: like for an audible thing, it would be two stones that you would have to bang together. Uh, would that be called rock music? <laughs> <laughs> the coffee just hit me. Nice. Uh. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't major in geology, but I listened to a lot of rock music. Oh
1: yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> so the the premise for what we want to talk about today was brought on by, um, and that's the whole like making a place your home,
0: how to know a
1: place. Yeah, was that there was a student that on this semester who walked up to me about two weeks in and said, you know, as this course goes on, I'm realizing that this is really just skills to learn how to make a place your home. And what he meant by that wasn't that we're not teaching anybody to build a cabin or anything like that, but we're, we're showing you a set of systems that allow you to know a lot about the land that you're living on or around. And that's something that people in the modern world don't, really I don't even think think about often you know it doesn't the bird might be pretty outside but it doesn't really affect you if you know what it is or what it does
0: yeah we're so insulated from the realities of the natural world these days where we live in climate controlled housing we wake up we take a hot shower regardless of by turning a knob regardless of what time of year it is Jump in a climate controlled car to a climate controlled office, spend the day there, and then head back home. And, you know, in a, everything's climate controlled. And we don't have to know anything about the natural world to live in a place these days. Yeah. And what the students here are experiencing is hey, there's no climate control. There are no engines that are going to do anything and get you anywhere. Essentially, you are living in the environment, and your body is the only engine that you have. Yeah. So the way that we accomplish this on the course is we have several several components to that. Number 1 is the academic component and students are spending late nights in the library doing background studies on natural history, keeping weather journals, doing studies on mammals, plants, Uh, fish birds soon to be insects so there's the academic component but there's also the experiential component which is where we're actually out on the land if it rains you get wet if you fall in the water you get even wetter um and then you have to be responsible for drying your stuff out um and whatever but you know there and there is no secret sauce to any of this we say uh throughout the course that the secret sauce around here is paying attention to small details and changes over time and i think that is the that's the thing is that in the modern world we don't have to pay attention there's no benefit really to paying attention unless you're individually interested you know if i lived in downtown you know if i lived in downtown portland maine um you know i'd wake up in an apartment and i would go to work and I would come home and and feed myself and do what I needed to do. But unless I was really interested, I probably wouldn't notice the birds, you know, on my way into the office. I probably wouldn't notice the plants in the park. I probably wouldn't notice those things. Whereas here we've, you know, designed the course in such a way that it's part of the lifestyle to notice those things. Well,
1: and so an exercise that I think demonstrates that really well is we, when we get into navigation, students have to make a map of um, a section of the field school that we designate for them. And a few, a few semesters ago, we had two students that were around the same age um, and just had sort of different um, different mentalities towards their studies. their at the actual academic side of it. And what that meant was that the, when they went and recorded the map, one student who had put in a little more work on knowing the plants around here, his map was much more detailed to the point where, you know, he had designated an aspen grove or a pine grove um, as, or I'm sorry, a fir grove. Whereas opposed to the other one, it was a line drawing that you could probably get around with. But this other this other person had, had, through knowing the academic stuff previously, had been able to devote a lot more attention to detail and record that detail in a way that, um, you know, if I had to pick one of those maps, I'd want the one that was had a lot more detail in it to navigate with rather than the one that was, you know, you could get by, but I wouldn't want to try. And I think that that says something about, about um, the mentality that, I hope students take away up here is that you, you pay attention to little details in a way that you probably haven't before in, in most of life and that that goes back home with you. And the map exercise forces people to do that. I, yeah, and that's it. That's what I got.
0: That's good. Yeah. I'm glad you clarified uh, pine grow versus fur Yeah, One I, of my hugest pet peeves I, yep. is when people refer to every evergreen as a pine. Or they always say pine boughs when they mean fir or spruce or something. To be totally honest, the reason it happens is because I looked out across the
1: lake and there's a white pine.
0: There's no white pine over there. Oh my god. That's a spruce. You are right now the most annoying (laughs) person in the world to me. Like, you're doing what I just said I hated really am i yeah hmm. oh my god what would encourage a person to want to do that i don't know i don't know either he's um, just taking <laughs> advantage of me last weekend my kids visited up here and children are a blessing <laughs> children are a lovely thing but they're also dirty little disease vectors so i caught this wicked cold and kind of been down and out for a few days with uh you know not getting great sleeps and stuff so i think You know, I'm at my low point here and and you're taking advantage of that. Just trying to twist the knife in my back. I wouldn't deign to comment on that statement. (laughs) Oh, God.
1: But yeah, I think that there's something to that attention to detail
0: that um, students should strive to take away from this course. Other aspects of the experiential side of learning a place. Something that we have students do during the course is go out to a sit spot once or twice a day. Um, and that's where, during a course like this, uh, or, or a course not like this, you know, you, you spend a lot of time with other people, you spend a lot of time interacting with other people. And the sit spot is a time, I refer to it as the little solo, where you can go out, let the cares of the day slip away, and instead of talking and making a bunch of noise, uh, sit quietly and observe the natural world. And it's a pretty neat experience in that over time, if you go to the same place, the animals there and the birds and stuff, they get used to your presence. First couple times you go, you're a big outsider and they don't want anything to do with you. And eventually they, you know, you're part of their routine And they go about their general daily business. So, especially around here with, like, the Whiskey Jacks and some of the birds, they'll land, if not on you, right next to you, you know, if you're not making jerky movements or anything. But so... And the Red Squirrels will beat you up and steal your lunch. They will. They will attack. (laughs) uh, Uh, Not necessarily attack. No, but... but um, They're not afraid of much. They're not afraid of much. So, um... Yeah, but it's a neat experience to go out and observe nature and, and especially observe changes in nature. A lot of times what we're looking for are the changes. So, for example, when people are keeping a weather log, um, you know, we're looking at the weather and if it's if it's sunny with a northwest wind today and it's sunny with a northwest wind tomorrow, you know, logging that isn't super interesting. What we're really looking at is what what are the signs that a change is going to take place. Mm-hmm. So, and with regards to sit spots, you know, maybe it's that there weren't moose tracks across the stream yesterday, and there were today. So, you know, it allows you to sort of put a timestamp stamp on a lot of those things. Yeah, well, we started when you were talking about the grass, right? That's
1: a, a rhythm or a pattern that you notice when you live somewhere long enough. And I think that that... The seeing things that are interesting happen once that pattern's sort of ingrained in your brain, and then the changes to that pattern or rhythm are what stand out. um The other day, I was I was walking out the red trail and on our property, and saw a bunch of pretty fresh moose scat, and looked up, and then scared a cow moose, and she just you know we both looked at each other for a second, and both ran away, and I probably wasn't more than 25 yards from her and which is, you know, not a common thing, but I, you know, I might have walked face first into her if I hadn't seen this thing in the middle of the trail and noticed it. And that's something that, you know, when I first started doing this stuff, I never would have never would have occurred to me to look at that and think that way, which is
0: a cool thing to take away and I hope students are as well. I'll link this story in the show notes, but one of the really cool stories we have about sit spots I think it was like 2003, maybe 2004, um, in New Hampshire. We ran a semester that was February, March, April. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm still getting over that cold. And a guy named Peter, great guy, super motivated student, went to the same spit sit spot. It was either 39 or 41 days in a row, and uh, you know every day he'd go there. He said he would see fisher tracks and. there was a big kind of blowdown and he saw the fisher tracks kind of always go up to the blowdown so over the course of 39 days he would get a little bit closer to the blowdown every day and kind of talk in a, you know, just kind of nonsense like he'd talk to a pet, right? Like a Grumpy Cat? Aww.
1: That's, I mean, Tim's talking, I don't mean to interrupt your story but Tim just said, you know, he's still getting over the cold but really,
0: (laughs) he was just up all night really sad about Grumpy Cat. So, you know, he would approach, kind of like he'd talk to a pet, you know, in a nice, gentle, calm voice, nothing loud, nothing frightening. So the idea is that the the animals in the blowdown would, would, would get used to his voice, get used to his presence. So... In his mind, it was a fisher den, right? And he didn't share this with me till, till the end of the story. And it's pretty neat. And you should definitely go back and read it. I think it, he titled it Tricked by a Fisher. But anyway, on like day 30, he was able to crawl up into the den. And then he said he looked up in there and... Or into the blowdown that became a den. And he said there was this big eye that opened up and looked at him. And then he came back to camp and he said, How big is a fisher cat? So in what he had thought was happening was that these fishers had a little den in there. But what really was, was a, was a bear's den, a black bear den, a mother who had had two cubs over the winter. And, uh, the fishers were just going and checking it out every couple of days as part of their, as part of their routine. Um, so he said he was able to crawl up into the den, uh, that day, and the uh yeah Christopher's shaking his head and and you should never try anything like this, right? Don't ever do this at home. this is a horrible idea, but he said he was able to reach out and like scratch the bear uh a little bit so and then we went back uh I think two days later, and the bear had left the den, um so we tracked it down a little ways, and um, uh, yeah, the mother bear was just teaching the cubs, but I think. You know, it could have ended very badly. It's a very bad idea to do that. But, you know, it's an interesting story after the fact because nothing bad happened. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the power of the sit spot, the power of routine, the power of going to the same place over and over again and everything gets used to you. I think if he had been running around screaming like a crazy person at, approaching that, you know, the the outcome would have been mm-hmm. much different. The bear probably would have left the den earlier um, and whatever. So, yeah. You know, nothing like that has happened since. We do have some... Uh, you know, some great sit spot stories and great animal stories and stuff. But that's definitely the, the pick of the litter, so to speak. Oh, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, I'll link that. And you can read Peter in his own words as he describes the experience. Um, but, yeah, so that going to a sit spot every day, that's a really good way to start to know a place. And I think it's the combination of, of academics and experiential that's the, that's where you get to the sweet spot, right? Yeah. Because one without the other, you know, if it's just academic, then it's an abstraction exercise where you're learning the names of things and learning about things, but you don't have an experiential uh, scaffolding, if you will, to put that information into. Similarly, if you just go out and experience stuff, the, the end result is not as powerful as if you learn the names of the mm. things and learn about the history of the things and the natural history and how they live and and things of that nature.
1: Yeah. Um, so we, like Tim mentioned at the beginning of the course, they're building their, uh, they just finished building their first shelter, which is a hoop house. And for that, you need pretty specific types of saplings that you can bend and weave. And one of our students on this course had grabbed a, um, had grabbed an aspen the first time and tried to bend it and it broke. So he was worried that they would all do that and had sort of, uh, so when we do the hoop houses, it's a, it's a sturdy ground frame that we can bend them through and around and that's what gives it that nice kind of hoop shape so he had stuck them through in sort of almost like a tent shape um and then you know walked over with him and kind of explained to him why we chose the woods that we did for this and you know and then he and I bent the birch and maple and he was awestruck that they could do this because with that first um aspen tree it had just snapped and what that means is that um, that pairs with the academic studies that he's doing, because maybe the first time that you write about birch or maple, you know, it's, it's pretty, yeah, it's academic. It's all sort of hypothetical. You know, about the shape of their leaves, you know, the time of the year that they leaf out or the sap runs, but you don't have that sort of visceral understanding of what that wood is capable of, um, and once you've done something with it, like building a shelter or carving a canoe paddle, you have a really good understanding of the properties of that wood. And that wood is something that, or that type of tree is something that you, from here on out, will look at and know know its potential. And I think that that's another important part of living on a landscape, is knowing knowing what works and what doesn't with which, uh, which materials are
0: around. Right. You know, in a university course, you could get some of the facts about the field botany uh, of the saplings but you know you need that experiential component like people get out here in order to know hey in addition to all the botanical facts this is a good shelter pole because it's flexible right this isn't because it'll snap so it just adds a whole new depth of knowledge depth of understanding to
1: your surroundings yeah and they build on each other so today you know he knows that now not to use aspen Um, And today we're going to probably do quickie bows. And when we do that, I would be willing to bet that even if I didn't tell him which wood to select, he probably wouldn't select Aspen because he understands that it doesn't bend. Um, And I think that that's, as you get more and more of this stuff, it builds on each other and allows you to take on harder and tougher projects. And I think that that is a
0: really cool aspect of it. Makes me wonder how they build shelters in Aspen, Colorado, right? Well, they get a guy to hit two rocks together, so they've got a soundtrack
1: and uh, and then they just cut down a bunch of aspens and pile them on top of each other
0: like a beaver lodge. That's not... No, I've seen pictures. That's not what it looks like. It looks like, like a high-end like, ski resort. Whoa, 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 whoa.
1: I don't think you can't prove to me that the entire population of Aspen isn't beaver-related. All right. I don't even... I don't even know what's happening anymore. Because I don't know what you're doing to me, and so I'm just... I'm lightheaded because I'm bounce. cold. It's not weird. a
0: cold. You're sad about Grumpy Cat. Admit it. I'm, I'm both.
1: <laughs> Why can't I be
0: both? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I'm completely out of ideas at this point. Like, my head is uh, feels like a giant yeah. beach ball. So I think we're going to wrap this one yeah. up because we've got to go start our day. We're going to hit the water again today. Do some polling through Island Rips on the other side of the island down on the river. Uh... It's still pretty cold out. The sun is not shining yet today, and maybe will shine. Haze of fog when I woke up this morning. So everywhere. hopefully no one swims. Yep. Uh, but thank you for spending this time with us. Thanks for your attention, and if you found this to be useful in any way, shape, or form, please leave us a review or share this with somebody or click on that little, you know, star thingy that says that uh, I don't even know what it really says anymore that you're good yeah find um, your name put a gold star by it so yeah do do that for if you like <laughs> this do
1: us that little favor yeah um, um other i mean another thing we've said this a few times on the podcast but if you guys have topics that you're interested in that we could talk about send them to us because we have very little to say to each other anymore i have absolutely nothing to no say
0: to exactly you. anyway and again uh, grumpy cat if you're out there this one's for you little little buddy We miss you. Yep. Thanks. Have a great day. You have been listening to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft podcast. For more information on our professional wilderness guide training programs that are college accredited and GI Bill approved, visit us on the web at jackmtn.com.